0: So when Sadie Lincoln was growing up as a little kid, she was she was kind of raised by her mom and a group of counterculture friends, all women with kids, who brought them up as a sort of a collective family. And they eventually moved from New Mexico to Eugene, Oregon, and stayed this kind of really beautiful family. Eventually, as most kids do, she started to rebel against this and went as bad as mainstream as she could. But the lessons from that time in her life just keep resurfacing over and over, reflecting on doing inner work, reflecting on the importance of family, of movement, of relationships. This just kept coming back. Sadie eventually went to college and found her way into the fitness world, where she became a member of a team that grew this legendary global fitness brand called 24 Hour Fitness, But something wasn't right. And after about 11 years or so, she realized she needed something else personally and she wanted to create something else that was very different and served a different need in that market. She took some time with her husband, Chris, and then married and a mom of two kids. They decided to team up to launch something called Bar 3 with a first location in Portland, Oregon, one of my favorite places, that has rapidly exploded into a global brand of its own with more than 100 studios, empowering people to reconnect with their own intuition, with movement, empowering the franchise owners to really also step up and have something that they can claim ownership of and create in their own form and shape and customize and bring their soul, their voice to the world. We explore this really moving journey in today's conversation and also- Kind of circle around to her current deep focus and interest in discovering voice, um, especially for women, and her work around that and how she has learned so much and is bringing so much of this wisdom to the people in her company, and then sort of uh, rippling out to all the many people that those folks then affect with their daily teachings. Really excited to share her journey and story with you. I'm Jonathan Fields. And this is Good Life Project Let's kind of take a step back in time. You have shared, I know, in a number of different ways and places. You grew up in a pretty non-traditional sort of like approach to family.
3: Yeah, it's my normal. But <laughs> in retrospect, I suppose it it's, yeah, unconventional. My mother in her early 20s was part of the counterculture. She dropped out along with, you know, Hundreds, a
0: generation, yeah.
3: a whole generation, and this was before social media. It blows my mind, really. Right. The energetically, you know, so many people did the same thing at the same time.
0: It is really interesting to see what's happening right now at this moment in time, and it's you know, like last year was 50 years from the Summer of Love. Yeah, it's really fascinating to see how that cycle is sort of folding back in itself.
3: I, I could talk about that this whole time. I think it's so interesting. I've been talking to my mom and aunties about it. So my mom met her best friends, who it's the greatest love story. For 50 years now, they're still best friends, and I call them my aunties because each of them basically got pregnant from different men, you know, and the men all split for one reason or another, and they raised us kids together, and we were not on a commune. We were not traditional hippies, the definition—my mom doesn't like the word hippie because there's so many— You know, baggage. Yeah, (laughs) and it's just like an e brand. You know, it has its own its own thing. If she has to give us a name, I pushed her on this. She said we were intellectual country hippies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They studied Jungian psychology and lived off the land. Basically, no electricity. We were all born at home, and we they just band together to figure out a new way to parent. Basically, it was a time of discovery and figuring things out, and it was more out of just being practical you know, so my mom might watch the kids while one of them would would go to work or, you know, they would just share in responsibilities. We shared food and meals and we lived together in various, you know, pods, depending, we are moving all the time. We're kind of on gypsies that way. So yeah, we're still a close family to this day.
0: That's amazing. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, what's really interesting about that also is that when you sort of like describe it in one particular, like, wow, that's really kind of counterculture and that was so unique, but if you also look at spiritual communities, faith-based communities through generations, mm-hmm. that's, that was kind of the glue that held a lot of it together. Yes, there were the teachings. Yes, there was a congregation, but fundamentally it was all about the community. It was about that sense of belonging, um, yeah. which was-
3: uh, And connectivity. And I have talked to them recently a lot about this. I'm really fascinated in, uh, about why we're still together. Because it was, it was a moment in time, and they could have all gone in different directions. And I think the reason we stayed together was tied to our core values and our devotion to inner work, is what my aunties call it. And that was from their studies with union psychology and their love of dream work. So we would get together regularly, sit in a circle, and our entry point for self-awareness and spirituality, I guess you could say, is dreams. And the rule in circle was everybody's seen and heard. You can be vulnerable. And dreams were just a starting a jumping off place to look inside and to be seen and heard. And because we had that, I think that's the glue that kept us together, Mm. that shared, you know, structure, if you will.
0: What about the values?
3: I think our our a value of intuition, living close to nature, communication. Support, interconnectedness, you know, those are the things I, all of us kids grew up are just the, knowing.
0: Yeah. Are, are those still your values today?
3: Yeah. Yeah, and that's been really fun for me. It's now ten years in running my own company, for example. I've just had this huge aha that my company is around those
0: same values. <laughs> right. So it's kinda of fun when that stuff happens. You're like, mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute. I mm-hmm. see what's happening. This here. came from somewhere. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So you start how many kids were running around?
3: So well we um the the core group of us there are four four aunt four women that each had a child and then over the years, one more auntie came on board and she had two children, so.
0: Got it. And you, at some point also, you started out in New Mexico from what I remember? Yeah, tops. then some point everybody hit the road and went to Oregon.
3: Eugene, right? yeah.
0: What was that about?
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, one of, well, the main reason that they decided to move was for the school system. Because uh, where we were, we were in Arroyo Seco, and at the time the public school system wasn't strong enough, they didn't want to homeschool. And so I think that was one of the driving forces is to we were starting to all of us kids were starting to be four, five, six, years old, and it was time to to shift and, and find a little more structure. and Eugene Eugene also shares a lot of the value, you know that good food, nature,
0: yeah. But I think the entire state of Oregon, <laughs> sort of like, mm-hmm. in, at least in part built around that too. I'm curious about the the sort of decision not to homeschool, especially because these days it's actually becoming a really significant movement, homeschooling, unschooling, and that people are really sort of looking at how the education system has evolved and saying, no, nah, you know, I think there's a better way. So, and then you have your aunties who are saying, you know, like we're already seeing the world differently, and yet we want the structure, we want the sort of linear progression of traditional school for our kids.
3: Yeah, I just don't think they wanted to invest their energy that way. Mm. Homeschooling, you know, that wasn't something that was, you know, really talked about or um, interesting to them. I think that was the real thing. And i th- I also think I wonder. I would have to ask them about this, but me speculating about it, I think back then homeschooling was more like about actual kind of, homeschooling. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and not about community. Less more about being kind of away and tucked away and not connected. You know, and and maybe it has had a little bit of a negative stigma to it, attached to it, whereas today it's it seems like more and more people are are seeing the value in it and that Kids can really grow up and be well-rounded and educated and whole people through a homeschooling program.
0: Yeah, it's actually almost like the hipster, hipster progressive approach to education. And yeah. I know, you know like, we're hanging out in New York City right now. There's a massive homeschooling population and community where they literally have, it's essentially like you're still going to a school yeah. with a community and stuff like that. On your where own it's, terms. It's completely different than than most people think it is, at least in New York City. I would imagine in smaller places it probably still is. More home-based.
3: I think it's becoming a widespread thing. We're figuring it out. I I actually looked into it and then I'm like, am I crazy? I'm running a company here. Like, (laughs) I can't do this. I was really romanced by the idea for a while there Uh, because it makes sense. And a lot of the traditional school system doesn't feel right. You know, we haven't progressed with how we know children learn and grow and thrive. And it's frustrating you know?
0: Yeah, completely agree. It's a, I, I had the good fortune to sit down with uh, Sir Ken Robinson a couple of years back, and we were talking about this. and And I love this line of his. He said, I'll, I'm, "I'm sure I'll butcher it," but he basically said, "You know, we are sort of the way things are structured. We're, we're 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 asking the question, you know, like who is who is intelligent, rather than how are you intelligent, and acknowledging that every kid mm-hmm. has this this genius, this intelligence in them, but." it may not be the one that fits into the box of traditional education or mainstream work or whatever it may be. And mm-hmm. rather than, you know, and we're so focused on finding the box rather than just saying, okay, let's find the kid gotcha. and then see how they can move out into the world and express themselves.
3: And I think that's that's the work. Yeah. Every single one of us as individuals, remembering that we are each a genius. We truly are, we are born with genius. and. I think life writes on us, each one of us, over time, and that it's a practice and an education to look inside and remember that and find it again. And if we can provide that kind of skill set for our kids, I mean, so it's easier for them, so they're not like me at 45 years old trying to figure
0: this stuff <laughs> out. <laughs>
3: And you're you know. <laughs> definitely the
0: only person at that point in your life who's trying to figure it. I know that. That is like the big it's conundrum. It's called mid-life. Right, right. Yeah.
3: I think it's called midlife. <laughs> and I've had the tools. I've been so fortunate because I grew up the way I did. I have the tools, but it's, you know, it's a practice for sure.
0: Yeah. Did you re- re- rebel against those tools at some point? Oh, yeah. Because you kind of have to in some way.
3: Totally. Yeah. I still am kind of a rebel. For example, my kids go to a private Catholic school, mm-hmm. which my mom could not. I mean, this was like a big thing for us. And I like to remind her that I'm actually baptized Catholic. So short little, quick little story. We lived in Arroyo Seco. My mom had me at home. We had no electricity. We had this little adobe. And this sheep herder who lived near us would come and check on my mom every day and just befriended her and kind of took her under his wing throughout her pregnancy. She had me, didn't name me for a while. And his name was Juan Valdez, by the way, I kid you not. And he named me Mercedes after his mother and convinced my mom to have me baptized in his little Arroyo Seco Catholic Church. So I'm actually baptized Catholic. I have it like inside of me. And again, just funny how things work out here. Here I And I my mom, I mean, I never went to church after that. He convinced them to baptize me. I'm baptized. And here my kids are now going to a Catholic school. And there are there's pieces of it that I really love. And, you know, I love the structure. I love the message of kindness and love and the community service we do, specifically the structure. I grew up without any structure mm. and I craved structure for my children now. And because there's, there was a dark side to that, a hard side to that, that, you know, it made me who I am on one hand, but also was a little scary as a kid living in, you know, thirteen homes by the time I was eight and, you know, traveling on the road. Yeah. There there's little little ways I continue to to rebel in high school. I was a cheerleader, like I you know Cheerleader, yeah.
0: I'm I'm embracing mainstream culture. (laughs) (laughs) Uh
3: Uh-huh.
0: But that makes so much sense also. And the further we get into life, I mean, the the most creative people I know actually really thrive within known constraints. You know, it actually, and I find this about myself too. I'm curious whether you do, it makes them more creative. It makes them more innovative. Because if it's like, here's the box that you have to operate in, but you have this crazy idea, but at least for now you have to make it happen within this box. Mm -hmm. You have to become so much more creative to work Mm -hmm. within those constraints than just saying the world is like, I can do anything I want.
3: Yeah. And it's figuring out just enough of a blueprint, just enough of a container and finding what what that is because too too much of a box it's hard to think.
0: Yeah, it's definitely Right.
3: But enough walls or boundaries, it's really creating conditions for creativity. And 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 yeah, that's all that's always what I'm trying to figure out. Like it's hard for me to write on a deadline, for example. But if I didn't have the deadline, I might not have sat down pen to paper. And put it put it out there. So
0: totally get yeah. it. Yeah, three three books in on this side. <laughs> it's like if there is not that line in this end, it completely doesn't happen. What were you? So you you were a cheerleader. You also had an artistic side to you, from what I recall. Well, did, or did that not I, express itself until a bit later?
3: I don't. I mean, I grew up. We were all are kind of artistic in nature. I went to magnet arts and art school, and so you know we were busy building like clay coil pots and macrame and dancing and theater and everything else under the sun, I didn't get the basics as a kid, you know, math, grammar. (laughs) I actually went into middle school feeling kind of handicapped because of it and struggled through my whole education career because, and, you know, not having those basics, which is kind of important, but the creativity side of me was so, you know, cultivated. I think that's really informed who I am today allows me to be creative and moving anything with body dance, you know, has always been something I enjoy.
0: Yeah. Did, did you take that into college with you as well?
3: I did a little bit. I, first of all, I went to city college first. I always like to talk about that because I think city college is a great path and it's not talked about as enough.
0: Well, let that, tell me more about it then.
3: I, well, I didn't do well in school. So I, I, all through school, I was playing catch up. And on top of that, was really insecure and didn't feel smart or seen as a thoughtful person because I didn't have those exterior measures of achievement called grades that were, you know, I didn't have the basics and it just, I basically survived through, I don't know, social charm and just Mm. (laughs) figuring out, hacking the education system is how I got through high school. I didn't take the SATs. I was not college bound and i ended up moving to la and enrolled in santa monica city college actually to get to know my dad i live with my dad for the first time and that's where i woke up that's where education really connected with me it was super affordable we didn't have money my mom couldn't have sent me to a great college anyways and so i just happened upon that path but those professors were incredible i gained confidence and realized, wow, I kind of like this thing called studying and learning and growing with amazing teachers mm-hmm. and transferred. And then I went to UCLA. And at UCLA, where I found home was the John Wooden Center, which was the recreation center where I could move and feel alive in my body. And I started taking group exercise and I just found it just energizing and magnetic and kind of like utopia, really music, a whole bunch of people moving together, sweating, feeling good, start teaching classes. And then I ended up running the instructor training program. And that was really the beginning of my path.
0: Yeah. And at the same time, it's really sort of like the continued manifestation of you and the aunties and movement Mm -hmm. and inner exploration as a little kid. It's like it Mm -hmm. keeps... Keeps weaving its way and weaving its way and weaving its way. It's like this common theme.
3: Yeah. We we're. I was talking with my my mom about that. We used to have, I mean, boogie parties. We would put on records. We called them boogie parties and we would all just dance like crazy in our living room. You know, that was our, you know, exercise.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so when you get out of school, you end up going straight into the fitness industry?
3: I went to, well, I got a graduate assistantship to the College of William & Mary okay. to further develop their exercise program on campus. I thought that's what I was gonna do is develop fitness programming on college campuses.
0: Okay, so Mm -hmm. was that, is that what you majored in?
3: That I got my master's in higher education administration. So education, that's always been my path is to be a teacher. I knew that I was going to be a teacher. To this day, that's who I, that's what I am. I might be a CEO of a big company, but that's sort of just on my business card. I'm really a teacher. Right out of grad school, I landed a job with 24 Hour Fitness, which was just my way to get to San Francisco to live with my girlfriend, who I, you know, one of my best friends. And at the time, we had 24, 25 gyms, and I thought I was going to stay there for a couple of years. I ended up being there for close to 11 years.
0: What did you end up doing? I mean, what what did you come in thinking you were going to be doing?
3: I ran the group exercise programming for all those gyms. So it was a big job. It was 25 years old, and I was in charge of all programming, group exercise, figuring out how to scale and train and develop instructors for a bunch of Gems.
0: Yeah, and when was this late eighties or nineties? This was nineties. This okay. is
3: ninety-five.
0: So that would have been. So for those who don't know, twenty-four hour fitness became this you know, huge chain, a lot more on the west coast of the U.S. than on the east coast, from mm-hmm. what I remember,
3: and global. Right, a lot of people don't know it. Hong Kong, Scandinavia, so
0: very international, Spain,
3: everywhere. Yeah.
0: Privately owned, Mark Mastroff, or actually went uh-huh. public at one point, right? Privately owned. Still privately owned. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. So you're working, are you working directly with Mark at this point or a team or? When I was at 24? Yeah.
3: yeah pretty quickly after I joined the team, I started to work direct for Mark and he saw something in me. My, my entrepreneurial spirit, definitely, you know, he's such an entrepreneur. He's a starter. I'm a starter. We, so we we connected and he put me on all kinds of projects so i it was i got my working mba everything from scaling group exercise programs to my favorite work was around the brand and the spirit of the brand and understanding what that meant building culture and delivering programs that work in all different kinds of countries. So I got to travel the world. I worked on his other concepts too. He has more than 24 hour fitness. He had lots of different concepts. So, so I got to learn the business. I never personally related to the culture. Mm. And so it was more from a distant kind of point of view that I was learning a different lens that I was learning all that from.
0: Tell tell me more about that because there's, I have a background in the fitness industry also Mm -hmm. and the one of the things that was really shocking to me when I, I first started looking at the research around it was that the statistics for large health clubs, I don't know if it's different now, but my sense is that it's not, we're really not good. you know it, it used to be something like 80, 85% of adults, at least in the US, I don't know what the international ones, will not join or stay members of larger health clubs, actually pretty much any health club. And something like 95% of those same people are like, I have to be exercising. I have to be moving my body in some way, shape, or form to live the life I want to live. And I always looked at those two things as like, okay, so this is like evidence of a massive disconnect in the culture, the you know, the product, the nature of the solutions. And the more I got sort of involved in the industry and I saw what was going on, I was like, this is in service of maximizing revenue per square foot, but not necessarily in powerful, personal, meaningful outcomes for members. And I was kind of stunned.
3: So I lived that, I I personally lived that. So I always come from a experience
2: sharing point of view with it.
0: So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
3: I joined on this company at the age of 25, and it was an amazing opportunity. And I identified with fitness. I ran group exercise in these college campuses, which were all about student development, you know. There was an intellectual side, there was a commitment to community and culture, which I really loved. And I, I was also celebrated as a group exercise instructor. It was They really acknowledged that this is an important thing for students to do. Mm. When I joined 24 Hour Fitness, because group exercise wasn't the revenue generator, we were put, we were shoved in the corner, right? there, It just wasn't exciting. It's not what all, when you're a finance person and you're looking at the different revenue generators, group exercise didn't come up. Right. There was that. And then I ended up growing in this career, and I was identified as a fitness professional and attached to this idea of what fitness was. Mm-hmm. And I was in the middle of a company that was booming, absolutely booming, growing. Our tagline was bigger, better, stronger. Mm-hmm. And it was m- minting money. And we, you know, I got to sit in boardrooms. I learned the whole story that this is working, right? From a business person, this is working. For me person, my body wasn't working. So I was heavier than literally and figuratively, like heavy feeling. My body hurt. My, my mind was foggy and I f- wasn't inside my body. I was like outside of my body looking in and I was measuring my success based on external measures of success that I was told worked. And they do work when it comes to, find, like when you we would sell this idea, follow this formula. Because if you follow this formula, you will be, ding, this, right? right? This fit, amazing superhero. But
0: only like 3% of people can and ever will follow that formula. Literally, that's the stat. <laughs> right, It's I know. 3%. It's, it's insane.
3: And it's still 3% to right. this day.
0: Because the human condition is still the human condition.
3: Right. So I felt a tremendous amount of shame around that because I was in the middle of it teaching and kind of like... An executive, you know, in this industry. And yet for me personally, my body, it I felt like a failure. And I had this moment of recognition that perhaps I'm not failing fitness. Perhaps fitness is failing me. Perhaps this model isn't working. And that was the big light bulb moment. Oh my gosh, 97% of human beings <laughs> are in my same boat. There's something not working here. It's working on paper, but it's not working for, it's not changing this, our country, our world in a meaningful way. And instead of taking that on, I just scratched my own itch and asked myself, what can I do personally to change this relationship with fitness I have? What is it? And I think that being pregnant helped me. I had I was pregnant with my first child and that's when I went back inside my body. Instead of being outside of my body and measuring external success and trying to run every morning and hitting the, you know, lifting heavy weights and no pain, no gain mentality, I slowed down and looked inside and went with intuition. What do I need today? Yeah, yeah, I need to go swim. Like a lot, I need a good sweaty swim. No, I need to sit and be still. I need to take my dog on a walk just because I want to be outside. I need to sleep. I need, you know, it was all of a sudden. Oh, my gosh! that's the formula. It's just asking yourself, "What do you need?" And then sometimes it's going to the gym and not that, that, you know that's it holds a place. But it's not all that. That's not the answer. Exercise is not the answer. Um, and certainly, being attached to an ideal is not the answer. That sets every single one of us up for failure. And so I'm big on language, and so I write things like, I have, I used to be attached to an ideal. Now I'm committed to real. And so I'll, ha- I have that like committed to real. That's a thing I see on my mantle a lot. And that's where I started to build my company from that foundation.
0: So, and in the middle of all this, just fill in some gaps here. You mentioned you having a baby, mm-hmm. you're married. Mm-hmm. At that time, I guess still, and then your husband and, and you were also working together in 24 hour fitness. Yeah. But all this, these, these bells are going off in your mind, saying, "This is not my future." And maybe, you know, if I am the ninety-seven percent, maybe there's something different that needs to happen in this space, in this world.
3: Hmm. Yeah, and it that was, it's it's not like that all happened real quick for me because I was attached to this paycheck I was getting, and also the success, you know, the accolade of. Oh, I've made it. You know, we bought a house in the Bay Area. That was a big deal for Chris and I to buy a house, you know, and two babies back to back. We were actually thinking about running yoga studios. Mm. Mark was an investor for a really great yoga company. And I loved yoga. That was that connected with me. Yeah. There's which, a lot of right yoga of? works. Yeah, sure. And that's where I'm trained through yoga works. I loved that. That changed my life. That was training. that in
0: the, because I know, was or, that when they they- the two guys came in, and mm-hmm. then right got it. Mm-hmm. Right, um,
3: that's when I—that's right when I was there. Yeah, yeah, that's when I got introduced. I'd been going to Yoga Works for years because whenever I traveled to LA for twenty-four, I w- I would go to Yoga Works. Right, right, on, right That right. one on Montana Back when Chuck Street, Maddie. it. yes, right. I love them. <laughs> I don't know if they don't they. I've met them a few times, but if they're listening, I love you, talking. I think Washi. didn't they
0: move to Hawaii or something like I've that? I've heard that. Yeah, right?
3: uh, yeah, great, great, true teachers. And the teachers were such quality teachers, and it was about this idea of looking inside. Mm -hmm. Yoga actually isn't super good for my body. I'm hypermobile, and I actually experienced a lot of aches and pains because of yoga, which was so demoralizing and frustrating because it was my place. I found home.
0: By the way, you and I both, and I owned a yoga studio and taught yoga for seven years and I'm hypermobile. I was a gymnast as a kid. And one of the things I realized really quickly is I can't, it's not healthy for me to push to all the places that so many people aspire to go in Mm -hmm. yoga practices. And I also think it was became so physically oriented, which can be great and safe. And also it can be pushed to a point where it's not healthy, both for your body, but also it becomes ego sneaks in (laughs) and then it changes the nature of what you do.
3: Well, especially flow, because there's not a lot of room to pause. There is, right? The true learning is to honor when you need to go in child's pose and not flow. And I think that takes a certain teacher to give you that permission in a class to do that and to provide space for that. And that is what I do at bar three. That is my main thing at bar three is we've created a method of exercising where there's space to, we call it adapting, because I think adapting sounds more forward facing than modifying. A lot of people think modify means-
0: Right, you're not doing the real thing. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I'm kind of going the easy way out.
3: And I'm showing everybody, including myself, I'm still a student of this, of, oh, when I adapt, and I don't take plank on the floor, but instead I go to the ballet bar, I'm literally and figuratively standing up for myself and what's right for me in that moment. Yeah. And that is just as important as building muscle and sweat is that moment of, I'm working through an injured shoulder, I need to stand up, even though everybody else in the class is in plank on the floor. And yesterday I did plank like a rock star. Right? Letting go of all that. And that's yogic. That's the yoga philosophy that I love. But I didn't have, there wasn't a lot of space for that in the classes that I was taking.
0: I saw that so many times also. It's funny, mm-hmm. it's funny. as you're saying that, like, and, and thinking about adaptation, I'm re- literally remembering being in a class and I had a regular student that would come with a bag full of her own props. Mm. And she would just kind of set up and do her own thing and use her own props. And I would have students come up to me afterwards being like, oh, she's so annoying. And like, how can you teach with someone like that in the room? And I'd be like, no, she's the one who's doing it. Like she's like, she's the model. I was
3: gonna say she's the teacher. Right,
0: right. She is the one, like she's the one who shows up, knows that like anything I say as a teacher is an invitation to explore. Totally. But is so committed to her own voice and understanding and knowing her own body and what she needs that she's like, I'm good you know, like, and I know how to take care of myself. And sometimes I'll join in. Sometimes I'm going to do my own thing and I I have no intention to disrupt, but I, but I know what I need from this and I know how to get it. And, you know, like, as long as you're cool with me getting it, that's what I'm going to do. And I was like, this is the person that we want to model, not make fun of and not try and say like, how do we get this person out of class? And it is, it's really interesting to sort of like see the different mindsets.
3: Did you struggle with injury or aches and pains and was that hard for you as a studio owner because in, in my own body Yeah. oh
0: yeah completely and and it's one of the reasons why in the very beginning also cuz I in like a lot of teachers in the early days I I did the practice with a class yeah and we taught vinyasa also like a pretty mm-hmm. aggressive vinyasa style and yeah. flow style and my body was not built for that i'm also a former gymnast and i've had a you know twice reconstructed shoulder and yeah. rehab this and that so for me you know, it, I came to a time where this, this practice wasn't right for me personally, which made it harder and harder for me to teach with integrity, even though it was right for a lot of other people. It just, it felt something was off for me.
3: And you were the figurehead yeah. of, oh,
0: that's, yeah. we and, do
3: share a so similar. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. It's, so that's, it,
0: and,
3: and it was great. not a great learning. Did you find it? I think it's oh, one huge. of my greatest gifts yeah, is huge. knowing how that. Did,
0: so when, like, how do you handle this?
3: I love talking about it. So every single class, every instructor who's trained with us, we use a language in our classes: make it your own, honor your truth. When people adapt postures, we acknowledge them and see them, and we say it out loud, and we talk about that. When someone adapts a posture, you're the teacher. You're teaching everybody that it's okay to give yourself permission. So it's very much a part of our culture. It is who we are. I mean, when people ask me what is bar, I, I it's such a hard I can't answer it because that's not what we, that's what we are. What I'm saying right now is what we are, you know? And how we use the ballet bar. We use that ballet bar. I love the ballet bar. I think it's a beautiful prop because you can hold on to it when you need to hold on and balance and you can let go of it when you need to let go. And you're facing the ballet bar and it's this very personal individual experience when you're facing the bar and yet you're shoulder to shoulder with a group of people supporting you in that individuality. Versus being on a stage or in the middle of the room, there's something very anonymous about it that gives people permission to hold on when they need to, let go when they need to. And that is not how ballet bars are used traditionally. I mean, ballet, the heritage is everybody looks the same. That's the beauty of dance. And there's an honor to that. You know, all the ballerinas in the exact same outfit doing the exact same thing with the same exact bun, right? That's no different today than all the women with low blonde ponytails and Lululemon clad outfit, doing the exact same posture at the ballet bar, right? And we see that a lot. That's the imagery we see. And I've had to break that and and really shout, no, take shape in your own way. Wear whatever you want to wear. This really is about celebrating your body in whatever shape it needs to take. And and when you do that in a group, in a group environment, you're tested mm. because Everything in you wants to do what everybody else is doing. That's intoxicating. And so, you know, it's a a way to test that ability to literally stand up for yourself.
0: Speaking of which we kind of like took a giant leap forward. <laughs> so, yeah, like people are like, what exactly are you talking about right now?
3: I take full so, accountability so let's, for uh, that.
0: Let, let's kind of like fill it, fill in like the one big gap right here. So, so there came a time, there came a reckoning where you're like, this, this sort of like traditional mainstream fitness is is not the thing culturally. It's not the thing personally. It's not working for me. You're moving into a different phase of your life with your kids and with your husband, and you're like, okay we need to do something different. So tell me about that moment and and how this idea, what we're talking about and what it is came to be.
3: Well, my husband, Chris, came up to me one day, and he's the analytical, grounded, thoughtful one, if you will. and i'm I'm a that's our magic. And I'm a little more, well, I'm a lot more adventuresome, out of the box. I like to be uncomfortable. And yet he came to me one day and pulled out a spreadsheet from his pocket that he, I guess he'd been carrying around for a long time. He had figured out how we could sell our house, let go of this opportunity of running yoga studios or staying on with what we were doing and drop out for a year and not work. And his idea was to move to Bend, Oregon and literally like garden and ski and-
0: Beer and dogs.
3: Beer and dogs (laughs) and kids. Right. And because that's, who we are. I mean, that's, we were also lonely as a couple. We were fighting lonely. We didn't have a tribe. We didn't have a belonging, a sense of belonging. And we were always like, oh, guess we're that weird couple.
0: But what's that you about? Know? I mean, is that because you're working together, relying on each other so much, you're working within the same company and there's, was there no life outside of that?
3: Yeah, there was, we struggled. We didn't have a place, you know, so much of our time was at work and work wasn't our I love those people and I love and honor that experience I had at at 24 Hour Fitness, but it didn't, it wasn't, they weren't my people. Like it, it just, I didn't feel a sense of belonging. And then we would try to meet other people. And I think we were so fragmented in the Bay Area, the commute and driving and trying to get there and trying to pay the mortgage and just trying to get by. It's so expensive. And maybe it was who we were at the time, but we just felt lonely as a couple. And so that was his solve. It's let's, let's drop out for a year. And it was the most amazing moment because if you think, again, full circle, right, exactly. that's what my mom did, <laughs> right? So he, he and he came from a very traditional, wonderful nuclear family in, on the East Coast, right? The honored tradition. And yet he's coming to me with this radical idea. So that he just saw me so clearly in that moment. I, I get emotional even just thinking about it. And I've told this story a 100 times, but that was our coming together moment in a big way. And that was the catalyst for, well, why don't we just create a career that affords those values all the time? Let's take that money and turn it towards, invest it in our own company. If we don't care about making money anyways, let's just go for it. Let's risk it all and try something based on leading from within. And so we sold our house on Craigslist, we did it ourselves. And we had a cat and two babies in our car and we drove to Portland, Oregon. And when and was this around? This Mid, was in, mid-late 2000s. Um, this, so we opened our first studio in 2008. So it was, yeah, 2007,
0: 2006. Okay, so you moved to Portland mm-hmm. in 2007, 2006. The intention is then to open, to figure out, okay, what it, if we were gonna create our own thing mm-hmm. for the 97% plus us. Yeah, What would that look like?
3: And it actually wasn't for the 97%. Honestly, it was for me. It was for me. Okay. Because I just trusted that. I just trusted that if I do this, because if I looked at the 97%, there's all different kinds of people, yeah, right? you
0: can't satisfy all. Right, I mean, it's so
3: like- I didn't even, I didn't do market research. I put away all the business books, everything I'd learned. And I just, I really just looked inside. What do I need? Scratch my own itch. And everything from the location we chose that had big windows and the cork floor that I love cork because it's sustainable and it's beautiful and it's soft. My brother, Miguel, helped me design it and he knew me so well. So the color choices, the logo, B3, is a nod to the ohm symbol, my love of yoga, but my own way. And then I just started to piece together a system of exercise that my North Star is three. So that's bar three. The three is a symbol of balance. That's what drove us to leave is to find more balance in our lives. And it's also, it's not about getting to balance though. So it's really clear about that. I don't wanna have that be an ideal.
0: Mm.
3: Instead, it's a commitment to recognizing imbalances, recognizing imbalances, seeing them, saying it out loud, oh, you know, I feel kind of imbalanced right now. And then consciously working towards a more balanced state. And that's what the class is all about. It's recognizing when you're in balance and working towards a more balanced state, adapting, adapting, adapting towards a more balanced state. And so all of our exer- a lot of our exercises are inspired by physical therapy, some yoga, some fun- a lot of functional fitness, some traditional bar work. That's the isometric work and small movements that help stabilize at the joints. So all around this idea of balance and and me working through my injuries and just being really thoughtful about how am I going to address injury? I'm not the only high-performing achiever who shames herself because of injury. You know, can we unveil that injury is okay and that it's actually a way to learn about yourself and that you can still get a sweaty, endorphin-high, achievement-oriented workout if you have injury in body, in the body. And nobody had ever told me that.
0: Yeah. And I also think the fitness culture in the in the U.S. is so built around youth yeah. that the assumption is, you know, A, A you're not injured or eh, you'll bounce back pretty quickly if you do get injured. Mm-hmm. Then once you hit like your late 30s or your 40s, you're like, oh, like stuff happens easier and I don't come back nearly as easily if I keep at it the same way.
3: If I keep attached to who I was yesterday. I think the biggest attachment most of us me, I face is attaching myself to who who I used to be or what I what I think I am, you know, my imagined version of myself versus being really present with who I am right now in this moment. Yeah. And age is a big deal for me. You know, I love the being around my aunties who are in their 70s and 80s now and um, seeing how vibrant and healthy they are and, and their secret was just moving intuitively and staying connected as a tribe and being honest they were not fitness fanatics ever they didn't follow diets they did not follow prescribed exercise programs and they are so vibrant and healthy and beautiful and you know i think we need to be around older people more and yeah. and we see that in our studios i have people in their 70s and 80s working out next to women in their 18 19 20 You know, so we're all in it together. I think the age diversity is
0: huge. And I I don't want to blow by what you just said. Actually, I think I want to repeat it. Being intuitive, like being connected. What was the third thing you Mm -hmm. just said? And community. Like those, that's it. Yeah. You're like moving, Mm -hmm. (laughs) being intuitive, community. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, that's it. (laughs) I mean- And we we get pulled so far away from that, like in almost everything we do, very often with really good intention, Yeah, you know, but it's, it's, it's so funny. It's how amazing is it for you to have like those exemplars of your aunties, you know, like a couple of decades down the road and looking at them and being able to say, they're good. Like, in fact, if anything, like they've got it more figured out than, than the average person that age, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. And, oh yeah. And this is how they live their lives. They are
3: so good. They are so good. Yeah. I can't even And the fact that they're so funny and fun and just uh, I mean, yeah, I'm blessed to have them. And I think it's important I have a sense of responsibility and what I'm really motivated around is is gathering women in a way that we support each other and we support each other as we age and not fight aging. None of my aunties fight aging. They, I mean, it's truly like the old days, like where when you get older, you're you're more respected and you're honored versus numbed or put away, you know, or, you know, glossed over. You know, so many of us women, as we're aging, we're glossing over our age, you know, you know, Photoshop. I got Photoshopped. This was a defining moment for me. I got Photoshopped so much. They took away... The veins in my hands, the wrinkles on my face, you know, they plumped me up where they wanted to plump me up and skin me, made me skinny where they wanted to make me skinny. They changed my hair color. They changed my eye color. I'm not kidding. My mom saw it and we just burst out laughing. My mom, I was like, I look like such a douchebag. Like they took the life out of me. They took the life out of me. Literally, I looked like a wax figurine of myself.
0: Right, and they're turning you into that ideal that you resist so much too. That
3: I resist so, we all do, all, all of us, I guarantee you, every single person listening to this podcast right now knows that inside of their minds. We do not wanna look like Barbie dolls. We do not wanna be seen as that. Like Because it's not achievable, we know it intellectually, we're better than this. And even though I know that, and I am in this industry. It is a daily practice to remember that, and to act, show up that way, and to resist it. You know, it is a change. It's a, it's justice. It's social justice for every woman to be at home in her body, safe and at home in her body, and truly empowered is a practice because those messages are. A, I mean, we probably get hit with a thousand messages that are contrary to that every day. And to actually have that happen to me, like it was actually a book I wrote and shame on me. I didn't, I was stupid. I didn't sign, you know, photo rights and it was the wrong partner. So we don't sell the book. I don't sell it. As soon as I saw it, we pulled it from the shelves because I just, that's not, that's not the, what I want to sell. The words are good inside it, but the, I just couldn't get over the <laughs> the douchey
0: douchebag. Yeah, I mean that the image that you're projecting which is it's like so well, co- contrary to everything weird you believe too.
3: I they had me stand really funny and there was fans blo- I actually felt really glamorous in the moment. There were like <laughs> fans blowing in my face and I had like this fancy photographer from New York right. and I was like I have arrived and then we got those pictures and I I was like what is this? Like That's this hard. is ridiculous. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So you end up going ahead and you end up building so so the name of the company you guys start with with Chris is bar three you open one location in Portland the first location was in the Pearl right mm-hmm. so for those who don't know Portland, Oregon it's a great city it's it's got a bit of a counterculture feel to it it's kind of like as a friend of mine who lives there it's where young people go to re- retire <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the city has changed dramatically also in the last 10 and 15 years from there, you you start to grow, you know? Like, so you start with one studio and then it becomes a number and a number and a number until you guys are basically have bars all over the country and the world at this point. When you're thinking about, okay, so now we're the brand. Now we're creating something new. We believe in what we're doing, the culture, the mode of expression, the values, everything. As you think about, we want this to have a big impact. Are you concerned at all as you're growing and making decisions about preserving that, about losing control over, about losing touch with that deeper set of beliefs and values and the environment that you so are so fiercely committed to?
3: Yeah, preserve, fiercely committed. Those are two things, yes. I, I say that a lot. I stood up in front of all of our owners at our owner summit and I said, I'm mother tiger of this, like mother tiger (laughs) protecting. And that is what I – that is where a lot of my energy goes and I'm not sure that's a good thing, but it's its we've got to protect this culture. Um, How do we grow and kind of prove them? Like that's my other thing is, you know, I was for – I worked for a big successful company. I want to build a big successful company that – Is actually about growing better versus bigger. You know, I wanna prove that I can grow something that's sustainable, just like I believe in sustainable health and not like fad crazy diets and crazy exercise programs that might work for a month and get you to quote unquote where you want to go, but the next month you're, you know, business is the same thing. A lot of people grow their business and sell it, you know, right away. And it kind of then the quality goes away. So I'm I'm weighing that every day. I do want to grow big. I have that appetite. I want to grow successful. And be a remarkable business story. That's really exciting to me. And I do not want to compromise. I don't want to compromise our culture. And so that's my work, figuring that out. How do we do that?
0: Have you had moments where you've made a decision, seen it compromised, and then had to figure out, ooh, what do I do about this?
3: Yeah, last summer... We sat, I got the executive team together. We had hired this great consultant and he was wonderful. And Howard Mann, the businessman, if you wanna look him up, he's great. He kept talking to me and Chris about what do we want? What do we want? What It's about you guys. You know, he really, it was really nice to have that permission to really think, what do we want? What do we want? And we made a decision to stop growing. So we turned off sales, franchise sales, because we needed to. We needed to get uncomfortable as a company and really look at, okay, what are we doing? Why are we, you know, we started to get a little bit in autopilot mode where it's like, you know, it was the numbers that we need a two franchise sales a, a month. That is not a reason to partner with someone, ever. The reason to partner with someone is because they share a vision and they're excited and they're badass and they're gonna make me better. And so we adjusted and looked at our business model and we've thoughtfully created over the years, and we just really need to get back to it, different revenue streams so we don't have to hurry up and grow. So I have a online streaming program, for example, that's celebrated now. We have active subscribers in 98 countries doing these online workouts. And we've discovered this power of that at-home practice. And that's an amazing way to scale and a great revenue generator for me. So we're really focused on that so that I can slowly grow with the right partners. And not have it just be a business objective, but have it be a: Is she part of this movement? Is he part of this movement? Are we going to grow together for a long time? And by the way, when we stopped franchise sales, it was our first cash crisis. We had didn't we didn't plan according. You know, we we didn't quite do the analysis right. There was a little bit of panic. It was hardship. We had to lay off people, which was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, and You know, I learned a lot from it. And I think that's just part of growing and growing up.
0: When you hit that point where you're like, okay, we made a great call. Like, we're going to grow differently in the future. And then you get to the point where you're like, uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh-oh. And it comes Mm -hmm. time where you're like, we actually need to, I'm guessing for the first time to to let people go. Mm -hmm. Are you concerned, I mean, uh, beyond just being personally very difficult, Mm -hmm. were you guys concerned about what that would potentially do to the perception of who you are, how you cared, the culture of what you were really doing?
3: Yes. Yes. And community. Our, you know, our team members, first of all, I'm not, I tell people I love them all the time in the office. I love their dogs. I love their babies. I love their husbands. We have 55 full-time employees. 52 of them are women closely knit community and over it's healthy. What I've learned from this is it's actually healthy to move on and to let them outgrow you, right? Let people leave (laughs) and that that's actually a really healthy process. And, but it's still really hard. The human side is hard. And the side for me that I'm working on is, oh, they're not going to like me. Mm -hmm. They're going to talk bad about me. They're going to, you know, and, and it, you know, that happened, I think. I, you know, some of the our key, really charismatic people left, and then their friends end up leaving, and there was a little bit of a, you know, and that. But that's not why I'm doing this, you know. And and to remember that, you know, I've got all the tools I need inside of me, and I'm at, I'm attracting really solid people, and that's not going to go away. There's just an ever, you know, growing. Group of amazing individuals that are attracted to Bar Three. If I can stay focused on protecting, you know, our culture.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's so that's so right on. I mean, you know, if you can if you can keep your your heart focused on the core of what you're really about, and then like whoever's got to go is going to go, and whoever wants to stay is going to stay. It'll be for the right reason.
3: Lesson of not being attached.
0: Yeah, it was a huge
3: huge lesson. And now not that it's fun, by the way. Not that it's still. fun, but I feel good. I feel like yeah. I've grown up so much. And that's what I love about running a company is I I'm personally growing leaps and bounds right now. And we just had a woman who's one of my founding team members give notice. And I I felt so good about the conversation. I so heard her. I got her. I'm I'm confident she's she's going. In a, in a really thoughtful way and that, you know, we have a good relationship and how I'm dealing with it and how I'm emotionally coping with it right now. Uh, you know, I feel like it's so much better than just feeling like there are swords in my heart and, you know, tearful. And, you know, I just kind of realize oh yeah, right. That's the right thing to do. Like that's what people aren't going to stay
0: with me forever. And that's
3: totally okay.
0: Yeah. Not an easy lesson learned or just an easy thing to experience. <laughs> Even if cognitively you're like, yes, right. this is all good. This is all right. Right. And then you're like, but my heart is breaking or I'm angry or I'm upset or it's will just- they,
3: Will they still like
0: me? Yeah, there's a great restaurant or a couple of restaurants in New York City called Candle, Candle Cafe, they're vegan. I know, yeah. A couple that owns them, awesome, awesome human beings. And actually Bart was maybe the first interview that we did back when we were filming Good Life Project. And something similar came up because they treated so much, like this is our family. You know, everybody's like, just, it's a love fest. And he said, he learned really on. He's like, he had to kind of like his approach when somebody moves on is, he says, I literally, he says, I, I bless them on. Mm-hmm. Like that, those were his words. I bless them That's on. That's so like, sweet. That stayed I love with that. me. I bless them yeah, on. Yeah, because he's like, look, I, I don't, I, there's no ownership mm-hmm. in them or their futures. And, you know, like, it's just they're human being. You know, like who will like will come to their own decisions and has to do what's right for them. And that may or may not be sort of like the best thing for us, but that's still okay. Like if they're in integrity and we're in integrity, he's like, I bless them on.
3: Does Bart have kids? Yes. That's the ultimate I mean, I feel like I bless them on is my mantra with my kids at every mm. stage, right? Yeah. And certainly when they leave the house, that's gonna be a big
0: how old big are your kids one. now?
3: 12, and my daughter is turning 14 this weekend. God, you're,
0: yeah, you we have a 16-year-old daughter, so. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah, we're in it.
0: Yep. <laughs> I um, love this stage. And it's, it's pretty awesome, actually. So shortly before we came in here and started recording, we were starting to talk about something around voice and developing not just a sense of belonging and community, but sort of like something bigger around that. Tell me more about how you're exploring this idea right now.
3: Okay, first of all, this is a self-conscious concept to talk about on a podcast because I literally am investigating voice and the sound of voice. The aha I had that often, I'll just speak for myself, my voice was not the same as how my voice was coming across was not how I wanted to show up. And it was super unconscious until I hired a voice coach. So going back a couple steps, I started to investigate, well, I'm a study studier of people. I studied sociology. I love studying people. And that's one of the reasons I think Bar 3 is successful is I'll take a lot of classes and just sort of study the dynamic of why is this class working so well in this class? What is it that that feeling, that like vibe that you get from an instructor that is so significantly different than another instructor? And yet they're both technically strong, good people, you know great music that all those pieces are in place but i was starting to investigate what is the difference and i was taking a particularly soulful class and i had the aha that it was her voice mm. she spoke every sentence with a period place your foot on the floor you know she would talk she talked in a direct but heartfelt soulful way that invited me in but also gave me confidence and empowered me Versus another instructor who would say, Place your foot on the floor and then we'll pick up the weights. Yeah. And there was a question mark at the end. And
0: yeah, up talk. Yeah, up yeah.
3: speak. Up speak, vocal fry is where you go like that and you run out. You literally run out of air. Something
0: that I actually do a lot and it's been called to my attention recently. So I'm like, okay, it's actually time for me to yeah. go and start to get some instruction also.
3: It's a self conscious conversation, but a really important
0: one. Yeah, I so agree.
3: I hired a voice coach and we started with the master trainers and she's wonderful. Her name's Mary Mack out of Portland, Oregon. And she, we discovered through her that voice is so much more than voice. It's, it's, there's a psychology behind it. It is about showing up authentically and how do you want to show up and finding out from her and just investigating that women specifically have, tend to have more up speak, vocal fry, whispering, these different things that we add words in more, we'll, we'll start a sentence. So, and that's a way of filling space versus just saying I da 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 da, I would say, so when I was da da da, instead of when I was, right, just starting with a when, mm-hmm. we say just more. At the end of a sentence, we'll say things like, are you following me? Or do you understand me? Which is sort of Taking back that you would understand me, and so I'm. You know, we just had all these ahas about speech pattern. We went through this training. We're all now it's a regular practice just to know when I'm how I'm speaking. And the instructors went through it, and our numbers shifted business wise. It was a, a significant shift.
0: No kidding! Wow.
3: We yeah, and so we we called it vibe training, and we we sent most of our instructors company wide through it. And not only did it impact their class it impacted their life. So I just did it. So <laughs> I'm getting calls from these young women now. I can get anything I want. I pick up that phone. I can get anything I want. I'm standing up in front of you know, my boss and doing a presentation and they are hearing me for the first time in a new way. I am met with less resistance now. I am more confident. I am, you know, I am, I am, I am. All these wonderful shifts have happened. So now we're training all of the team in our office on this, all the young women that work for me because it is also generational. There's a millennial vocal fry thing that's happening and the up speak for sure. Question mark, question mark, question mark. And specifically the the up speak comes when people are are uncomfortable or nervous because that's when, am am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? So we, yeah, it's just shifted everything. It's been incredible. I'm speaking at the Soho House here in New York. A conversation that I'm leading is under this idea of you deserve to be heard. We're having such a moment, specifically women right now, of give, being given permission to be heard and seen and to call out some alarm bells around what we face every day about you know being dismissed, assaulted, not safe and not being heard and seen in a respectable, dignified way. And so what I'm starting to notice is people getting up on stages and they're saying these great things, but they're saying it, their voice is betraying them. Mm. How they're saying it isn't really confident. I'm just really passionate about it to get people aware is the first step and then, you know, working on it.
0: Yeah, and it's such a logical extension also of who you are as, a, as Just as a human being, as a woman, as your upbringing and the values, what you've created with bar three, which you know, is not just, it's not a quote chain. It's not purely about fitness. It's really about powering people to stand in who they are. It's about reconnecting with identity and community simultaneously and saying like, I'm okay. And I got people around me who all feel like we're okay individually and collectively will support that. The, the business model that you've chosen to expand, which is franchising, is based on empowering other people. That's right. With their own with personal their own expression. Like we're going to support you, but fundamentally this is you like running with it.
3: Exactly. So this
0: feels like a logical extension to me.
3: Yeah, exactly. You get it. I love it. <laughs> exactly. And voice is our body. We're so hyper-focused as a society on body right? What the body looks like, what the body feels like. We're sensation junkies that way. And we have overlooked one of the most important ways we show up. We show up, of course, we show up in our bodies and the way we look and the way we feel, but we also show up in how we speak and how we communicate. And so little attention is given to that in the wellness space, even just in the wellness space. And I think it's completely connected. Voice rides on breath, one thing we discovered as we did this, and we don't cue pull the the belly in anymore because we've been trained, all of us, but right. definitely women to suck in the belly. And when you suck in the belly, this is what happens. Your voice goes right here right. and there, you start to talk no up here. There's diaphragmatic breath in yeah. There. yeah. You can't ride on the – and when you end a sentence with breath like that, it invites people in. Versus ending up here and talking up in my mass voice, I'm not without any, I'm just kind of preaching and it's not very exciting. And, you know, there's, there's so much connection to body, breath and voice.
0: Mm, I love that. So as we sit here today, you're, this is sort of become, a, it sounds like really an evolving focus and passion of yours. When you think, do you think big, big bigger picture, because what it feels like to me is that you are no longer building bar three, the quote fitness exercise slash movement brand. You are building bigger lifestyle empowerment brand, largely focused around women mm-hmm. and almost every aspect of that. Is is—is that true or no?
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, my big kind of statement I'm working on in my mind, but, well, it's, it is, I just, ha- it's not a public thing, but, my vision is a world where all women are safe at home in their bodies and empowered to make a difference. That's what I'm working towards in my way. Um, that's what we are working towards, all of us, men and women and, it, and everybody in between. <laughs> mm, raising my hand um, right there. Yeah. And I saw Paul Hawkins speak. He's, do you know him? He's yeah. the environmentalist. Yep. amazing. So it struck me he said so he he's doing this great he has a book called the oh shoot the drawdown right. and it's data about the climate and the cli- and what we can actually do he, his his conversation is we don't know what to do because we haven't been given the clear data of what is really causing the climate change and once we we can just look at that without emotion then we know what we can do you know and he jokes that like composting and solar panels are not the answer. And that's all what we're, most of us are focused on. Like some little, they're great things, but there are some bigger things we can do. The sixth most impactful thing we can do for climate change is educate women. That is, I mean, to me, that's so tied to so many things, right?
0: It's like the master key. And it's funny because mm-hmm. I, when I heard him first say that, I was like, on the one hand, I was, I was really surprised. And on the other hand, I'm like, well, of course. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So it feels like a good place for us to kind of come full circle. So as we sit here, Good Life Project, last question I always circle around to you, is, if I offer out the phrase to live a good life, what comes up?
3: To be true, to, have a practice of looking inward and accepting imbalances recognizing them working towards a more balanced state and to create conditions in which you can do that and that is surrounding yourself with a community that supports you and create manifesting that and being trusting your intuition thank you thank you
0: Hey, if you're still listening, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love that you've enjoyed this episode so much that you're still here that's awesome you are awesome and while we're wrapping things up might as well share a quick shout out to to our really fantastic brand partners if you dig this show and i'm guessing you do because you're still here please support them they help make the podcast possible check out the links in today's show notes oh and don't forget also grab your spot at this year's camp glp i will be there our amazing family will be there waiting to hug it out to talk it out to just really enjoy our time together if you've been waiting be sure to register soon and lock in your spot and get our final hundred dollar discount visit goodlifeproject.com slash camp today to learn more or just click the link in the show notes see you next week